audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and back again. Uh, one of my favorite topics that I had on the podcast was that virus versus bacteria yeah. <laughs> with Dr. John Tronus, uh, family medicine physician up at Monument Health in the Lee Deadwood Clinic. So, welcome back, Dr. John. Thank you. Thank you for coming in to talk again. And as we get ready for summertime, um, one of the things you wanted to throw on this podcast was. First aid. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that popped into my mind when I saw this topic, um, I had just got, I just got back from vacation. And when you're sitting on an airplane and they start to do the, the spiel mm-hmm. about, you know, here's your seatbelt and your air and all of the stuff that they do if something bad happens, nobody ever listens to it, right? No. Everybody thinks they know yeah. already. Mm-hmm. And I feel that exact same way when it comes to first aid, yep. that everybody skips the basics but, man, you need to know this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, to at least have a basic understanding is a really good idea. And like you said, like everybody thinks that they know until it happens. <laughs> right. And then everybody starts to panic. <laughs> so this, I mean, this must, you, this, you must take this pretty seriously then when Very it comes so. to, especially living around here, The we have so many outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. We go from 60 below to 110 degrees. We mm-hmm. cover all of those. Mm-hmm. And as we get ready for summertime, um, speaking of the heat, one of the big things that's on this list uh, is heat stroke, mm-hmm. and I was I was pretty fascinated by by this uh, because I don't I don't think I really know what it is. Mm-hmm. Can you explain heat stroke? So I mean, it's a big topic as far as heat stroke because there are you know from mild to severe versions of it, um, but in general, it's just internal body temperature is raising higher than it should be, which causes the body's physiology to do all sorts of weird things, causing it to shift fluid and things like that to places where it ought not to be, um, to try to cool your core temperature down. Um, And that'll lead to low blood pressure, passing out, end organ damage, things like that. And I think a lot of people when they're outside and they start to to feel this way, I, I, I don't know, I really don't know how many people understand that, oh, this is Something's really wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So what are like some of the, the initial signs of when you're outside and you're doing yard work, it's 98, you, you should have got up earlier to do it, obviously, <laughs> waited until later. But what's, what are some of the first signs you'll feel when heat stroke comes on? So your body will you know, manage heat um, by sweating, things like that, and trying to dissipate heat. But there will be a point sometimes where the body will stop sweating that's oftentimes a bad sign where it's like, oh, things are getting a little bit too far. And then lightheadedness, black spots in your vision, things like that. So stopping sweating. Mm-hmm. What if you're somebody that doesn't – well, your body would normally do – everybody's body should sweat, right? Mm-hmm. Are there ever instances where some people can handle it better and they don't yeah. as much? Yeah, some people handle heat better, and those people might not be as prone to heat stroke as other people. But, no, I mean, everybody's going to sweat to some degree in okay. certain parts of the body. And, yeah. Then what's what's the first step you should take if you start to notice this happening? I mean, if you're out in the heat and you're feeling lightheaded, you're getting kind of black spots in your vision, I mean, get to someplace cool, 
you know, if you can get inside with air conditioning or if you can get under a shady spot and try to hydrate as much as possible. Um, the interesting thing with it is that your temperature will actually go up. So your internal body temperature will go up, but the external sources that will often do like temporal scanners or even oral or ear uh, temperature won't always be super accurate. Um, so uh, I learned a lot about heat stroke from a doc who managed the St. Paul Marathon. And the oh, St. Paul yeah. Marathon uh, happens in July in Minnesota where the humidity is 80% and the <laughs> Have temperatures. Have they thought about re- maybe a different time? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think they should. But uh, heat stroke left and right happens out there. And they'll have you know human-shaped tubs full of ice to get people into. And he says every person that comes through his tent has to have a rectal temperature done because that's the most accurate way to find out, oh, is this person's core temperature actually getting up to those scary 103, oh 104 um, points? And so, you know, if – you get inside and you're trying to cool down and, you know, ice on the head. You can even do ice bath and drinking water and you're just still feeling lightheaded, you know, vision's poor. People will get wobbly and shaky towards the end there and get weak. Getting into an ER where we can give people cold fluids and things like that to get their temperature. So that down. would be the step you would recommend people going to in, in ER or mm-hmm. in urgent care right yeah. away to get in yep. when that's happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All, all I heard when you were saying this, really going back to the whole rectal temperature <laughs> thing in a marathon, I'll see another reason not to run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that, that again, we, we don't, I mean, we have a good, what, three and a half, four months out of the year maybe mm-hmm. where, where it can be serious here, right? But I suppose yeah. heat stroke could happen. Yeah. Like in the wintertime indoors somewhere too? Is that, would that be? Mm, I've never seen that. Really? No. So it has, it's more mm-hmm. of an outdoor under the sun. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Body exertion. Um, I've seen some mild cases. Um, they have a, I think a half marathon in Deadwood um, in the summer and every once in a while we'll get some, because apparently they like to do a marathon and then go downtown and drink alcohol, <laughs> which isn't great for your body's internal temperature, heat stroke. And that's when they'll start coming and vomiting we'll see that sometimes when people get into bad heat stroke and so no it's i haven't seen a ton of cases here in south dakota since i've been working here for two years but really yeah that that tends to be the big ones is where people are physically exerting themselves out in the heat and oftentimes inadequate hydration will play a role into that as well. so shade and hydration would really Mm -hmm. be the two big things you can do Mm -hmm. i mean even if you have to be out in the sun make sure you've got a gallon of water with you to just yeah. keep pouring back. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, when people are out in the summertime and the brief window that we have to get out <laughs> and really enjoy the nice weather, um, another thing you may come across um, are things like uh, spider bites mm-hmm. around here, which mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised. Snake bites, too, obviously. We do have yes. a fair number of – have you seen those uh, um, in your practice? I have yet to run across them. I, from what I hear, prairie rattlesnakes don't really come up into the hills up in Deadwood. Okay. Um, but it was something that I definitely – learned up on coming out here Mm -hmm. versus being in Minnesota where there are no poisonous snakes in Minnesota, Um, at least not native poisonous snakes to Minnesota. So coming out here, I was like, oh, there's rattlesnakes out here and I should probably know more (laughs) about. And then once I got to Deadwood, they were like, yeah, they don't, they're in spearfish. You'll see them in spearfish. You'll see them in Rapid City, but you don't see a ton of them in uh, Deadwood itself. Sure. Up uh, up on the hills in general, I don't think you'll run across a lot, but Mm -hmm. Spider bites is kind of interesting yep. because um, it wasn't until recently, I don't know, maybe in the last 10 years, it was the first time I had ever seen a black widow spider in my mm. garage. Mm. And at first, it's kind of it's kind of shocking because you've always heard the dangers of these mm-hmm. things, which mm-hmm. I'm sure there are. Mm-hmm. Are there, They're not generally 
fatal. Are they spider bites? Um, not the ones around here. Okay, um, are, are not typically fatal. Um, even with uh, prairie rattlesnake bites, they're not overly fatal as mm-hmm. well, um, unless the venom itself, you know gets directly into your bloodstream. And so with the spiders that we have here that can cause issues like black widows, brown recluse, and the snakes, which is the prairie rattlesnake, mm-hmm. their venom tends to be a local issue. So it causes a lot of skin breakdown, tissue breakdown, um, and that can spread pretty easily locally and cause a lot of local swelling and issues like that. And so you'll see people who had a bite in their hand will swell up mm-hmm. um, or their whole arm or sw- will swell up. Um, and you'll see you know, tissue breakdown, big ulcerations of the tissue and wounds and blisters and things like that. So with a snake or a spider bite, are, th- are they similar treatments when something like that happens? Yeah. I mean, in both cases, you're going to want to seek medical treatment, mm-hmm. right? And there are a lot of kind of old wives tales about how to treat these things that don't necessarily apply. I'm assuming the important. first one you're going to is sucking out the venom. Don't <laughs> suck out the venom. Don't make incisions over where the wound was. Don't try to suck out the venom. Um, Tourniquets um, for for bites. You know, people will say like, "Oh, you know, tie off a tourniquet to the arm so it doesn't get to the heart mm-hmm. and spread." Um, not true for the types of creatures that we have around here. There are some cases in certain species of you know snakes and things like that in Asia, Australia, where that might be reasonable to do um, or some version of that. Mm-hmm. But here, um, it's essentially you know, especially like snake bite, which people are usually going to know right away that it happened. Spider bites often, so often when I see them, it's woke up in the morning and I see this, or, you know, I was out camping and maybe even a couple of days later, I started noticing this because it can take a little bit of time for that wound to develop where people actually notice it. Okay. Um, but, you know, snake bite, get a bite. They recommend trying to get that, you know, wherever it get, got bit, most of the time it's either going to be a leg or an arm or hand, something like that. Get that in a neutral position. So put the arm in a sling so it's resting and not moving. Um, the more muscle movement you're going to have in that extremity, it's going to work that toxin, that venom around and cause more tissue breakdown. Um, or if that leg, try to get it, you know, straight in a, in a splint if you can and get help so that they don't have to put weight on it so they don't have to use that leg and just try to get into an ER right away. Boy, I don't think anybody has ever heard that that's what you're supposed to do. I think the yeah. wives' tales are so prevalent. They're very prevalent, yeah. That that's 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 so interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's how you handle this. I did as a kid was bitten by a brown recluse uh, right here above my wrist mm-hmm. uh, and it was the it ended up it, it looked like about a half of a golf ball mm-hmm. had flamed up on my arm mm-hmm. and without being too graphic the stuff that came out of it was disgusting. Yeah, and that's all just, you know, the venom will just break down the tissue so oh. it just essentially liquefies <laughs> and comes out eventually. Yeah, it was terrible. And those wounds can be prone to infection, so mm-hmm. oftentimes it ends up just being proper wound care um, either through your doctor or through a wound care specialist that a lot of hospitals have around here and then antibiotics. Yeah, and, you know, I remember taking, yeah. yeah, a lot of pills just yeah. to, to fix that, but it yeah. was I remember the pain. It yeah. it it hurt. Yeah. Um all right, so after you've survived your spider bite or your snake bite or you just avoided it altogether, maybe you were running away and you tripped and fell down the hill and ended up spraining something, mm-hmm. right? That can be next yeah. on things that happen around mm-hmm. here quite a bit. Um real quick, speaking of wives tales, is it true um that it's better to break your ankle than to severely sprain it. <laughs> so, yeah, with that, I, I wouldn't say it's better. It heals faster. 
the break yes yeah, broken bones so okay. on average a broken bone will heal in four to six weeks depending on how old you are and how good your bones are but they say that soft tissue injuries like a severe sprain can take upwards of 12 weeks before that ligament oh, is looking insane. back to normal or before you're able to kind of move that's why you'll see yeah pro athletes i always talk with this with my patients about Pro athlete, you'll see them, oh, they pull the groin and they're out for, you know, eight weeks, nine right. weeks. And you're like, oh, it's just a little strain, a little sprain. Shouldn't be that bad. But no, these, the the ligaments and tendons, they don't have a lot of good blood supply. And it's that blood oh. supply that kind of brings healing factors from the body to that area. And so that's why it takes such a long time for those things to heal. And your bones um, do. And your bones much do. better yeah. blood your supply. bones are very vascular. Okay. Yep. And there's a very good mechanism in your body to heal broken bones. So if you get a sprain, I mean, a sprain can happen ankle, wrist. Mm -hmm. Like where else in your body can sprains generally happen? Anywhere. Oh, really? Anywhere. Okay. Yep. I've seen sprained back, sprained knees, oh, sprained sure. ankles, fingers. Finger sprains are very common you know people you know got caught and stubbed their mm -hmm. finger or you know a ball came and they tried to catch it and you know hit the end of their finger so yeah. then what happens with those in those instances sprains like i mean ankle sprains i i know if, if they're severe enough yeah you, you surgery sometimes mm -hmm. is recommended in those cases but on fingers and things like that then what do you what do you do when yeah something like so that um for kind of the the finger ones in particular um, splinting, it tends to be the you know first care. And so you know when you're talking about first aid, having some kind of splint ability, if you do have a first aid kit, is probably a great idea. Um, and they do make a lot of you know easy packable, like they'll have like these foam rolls that have like a malleable metal part in the middle that you, know, you can roll up, put into a first aid kit, unroll, and that way you can get something kind of in a neutral position, flat, immobile is essentially what you want and then go get it evaluated so that, you know, a physician can say, oh yeah, this is probably just a sprain or oh, I'm worried maybe that something's broken, let's get an x-ray. I get a lot of kids in that, you know, out on the playground, hurt their ankle, hurt their leg, something like that. Teacher, parent says, ah, it's just sprain, you'll be fine. Three days later they come in and they say, oh, actually, it's broken. You know, you've been, you've been walking around on a broken ankle for, for, for about three oh days God. now. Yeah. So immobilization is kind of a big yeah, step on it, most yeah. sprains then? Yep, yeah. And so having some kind of thing that you – and, you know, you'll see Boy Scouts and, you know, outdoorsmen use a stick and tape or something like yeah. that, you know, something that you have on hand. But they do make, you know – splint material that, that's pretty easy to get access to and you can put in a first aid kit that's pretty great and i know we have terry peak up by uh lead mm -hmm. in deadwood and um you'll often see people come in with the, that kind of that's like a foam roll has a metal insert in the middle that kind of is malleable so they just kind of you know whatever right. joints the problem they just throw it on there throw some ace wrap around it immobilize it and then send them down the hill to our er <laughs> just push them right down to yeah. the <laughs> ending up there uh all right so another big um i mean this can happen uh throughout the year obviously in a lot of different situations but when summertime rolls around people head out and start to go camping mm -hmm. um the one big thing that everybody loves to do is sit around that fire Mm -hmm. Right. That's a big, big deal for, for us around here. And then that can lead to some idiot getting burned. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to call anybody an <laughs> idiot, but I mean, it, it can happen to any of us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so burns, uh, I mean, they can be, you know, we've all we've all been burned to to one degree or another. Uh, what's what's best on first degree burns? I'm assuming it's more of just pretty general care, right? So the first thing with any burn is getting the temperature of it down as soon as you can. So, so that is cold a true, running water. That's a true thing. Yep. I, I, I maybe would have thought that might've been a wives tale too. The, the old wives tale is butter, you know, oh, butter for burns. Yeah, that might be that. Yeah, don't okay. put butter on your burns. <laughs> um, and so no, getting it under cold running water as soon as you can. Um, because that, 
thermal injury that's happening to the skin and the structures underneath it, you know, will slowly spread and you'll kind of see it like, okay, it's really bad here. Maybe that's where you'll get your blisters or the skin will break down. Not so bad out towards the edges. And if you can get it cold as possible, as soon as possible, you'll reduce that spread of that thermal injury. And so oh. you, know, you can try to, try to get that down as much as possible. But get it under cold running water, they say about 10 minutes, um, especially if it's a significant burn. So just cold running water for 10 minutes and then, you know, gauge it. And if you think it needs to go in, go in. Um, burns that are particularly scary are ones that involve joints. Like if it wraps around an entire joint, because if that heals improperly, it'll make that skin really stiff and really hard to move. Now, when you say um, wraps so, around a joint, like what do you mean? So let's like say like someone's hand got into a boiling pot of water or something oh. like that. And it's going to involve, you know, joints around the knuckles, joints around the wrist. And so all that skin will get burn damage and it will eventually turn into scar tissue and things like that. And so getting those to adequate burn centers is, is important, um, which is tough around here because we don't have a burn center in, in South Dakota. They all end up going down to the Denver region. Is that the closest one mm -hmm. to us probably? Mm -hmm. um, so what are the, real quick, if you can, what are the, you know, we always hear first, second, third degree burns. Yeah. What's the differences between all of we them? We don't even call them that anymore. Really? Yeah. No. Oh man. This, mm -hmm. I'm going to title this the old wives tale of first aid <laughs> episode. Um, but it was essentially the death depth is, is was what it caused. And so we call them uh, superficial burn, um, partial thickness burn, full thickness burn. Well, no, I can't remember that. Yeah. That first, second, third, it's so much easier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I never okay. hold it against people, but that's what we call it in the medical field nowadays. And it's essentially just how much of that skin tissue. So, you know, the skin has many layers to it and essentially how deep do we think that burn is going? Um, and they'll have kind of classic signs of like, oh, if it's this deep, you'll start to see blisters. Um, if it's, you know, all the way down to the bone, it'll look like this. Um, and so there's, there's ways that we can kind of gauge it and, and severity, but you know, that kind of simple sunburn is yeah. kind of that, that superficial, that's maybe just into that epidermis dermis layer. Um, and then you're going into that partial thickness that's going down through the dermis might cause some blistering and things like that. So at what 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 type of burn would you recommend that people see a doctor generally? Probably partial thickness. So okay. Anything that might start to blister um, or like oh, I said, really? anything that involves large portions of the body. Um, so if you're saying like, oh, this is pretty wide and big or if it's involving, you know, joints and things mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, I've had people where it's not so bad, but it involves their entire finger. And we know we really got to care for that well to make sure that they have full movement of that finger, you know, a year from now. So if somebody's out camping and they can't get to a doctor right away with a burn like that, what do you recommend? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, in, so, a, in a first aid kit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like I said, cold running water, and then they'll have burn creams, burn gels, things mm -hmm. like that, that can help. And then just keeping it covered. Um, because Burn tissue is going to be more prone to infection, might blister and then open up and then have you have open wounds. And so keeping it covered, especially if you're going to be outdoors like that um, and getting in somewhere. Okay. Um, I know one that's pretty popular is uh, Silvadine cream, which is kind of like a silvery type based cream, um, which is great for preventing infection. Long term, it might slow down healing, you know, by a week or two or something like that. But it can also be helpful for just preventing infection, especially if you're going to be, oh, I'm out here for three more days and I can't get anywhere. Right. Okay. Excellent. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Uh, let's. I'm going to combine these last two here a little yeah. bit, because um, everybody is going to experience that th th this year too. Um, hopefully, you'll you'll avoid the sprains and the burns and the spider bites, um, but cuts and scrapes, puncture wounds, things like that are going to happen to all of us as we head out this mm -hmm. summer, right? Um, so cuts and scrapes, 
my my main question with this, you always people will always say, well, put you know like a like a neosporin on it right there mm-hmm. before you cover it, but then. Lately, it seems like you've heard a lot of stories about, well, no, don't use that stuff. What's, what's your take on that? Anti-neosporin, okay. or not, yeah. And why is that? So neosporin in particular has like their proprietary blend inside mm. it that actually can cause some skin irritation. Okay. And what ends up happening almost without fail, they'll have some kind of wound or cut or abrasion. They put their neosporin on it for three, four days. Then they come see me and they say, oh, it's getting really red all around it. And I can't tell you then, it's like, okay, is it getting infected? And do we need to start antibiotics? And kind of in that realm of, we don't want to put everybody on antibiotics. Of course. Um, because of antibiotic resistance. Or is it just irritated because of all the neosporin? Neosporin and hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> oh, that's or, another you know, big one, yeah. Hydrogen peroxide, um, I think it's maybe a generational thing. But yeah, people love oh. to pour hydrogen peroxide on things. and. <laughs> As an immediate treatment, I say, okay, maybe like right when it happens, you can just quick rinse it with hydrogen peroxide because it does, essentially, it's indiscriminate killing of tissue is what it does. So it'll kill bacteria and viruses, but it'll start to destroy your own tissue as well. But I have people who are saying like, oh, yeah, I treat it every day with hydrogen peroxide and it's looking pretty gnarly. Yeah, it will. will. (laughs) There's a reason. What's the point of hydrogen peroxide then? What's it good for? I mean... I don't know. I, I'll, I'll keep it in the house. Um, it helps break down earwax. Oh, um, all right. So you mix okay. like half and half hydrogen peroxide and water, and you drip it into your ear. It'll break down earwax. Big difference good. between the cut on your hand and your earwax. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like uh, I said, as like a one-time, okay, just got the wound, pour a little over it. Sure, why not? Okay. Um, but yeah, long term, if you're gonna put something on a wound, I say just do straight Vaseline Aquaphor, just an ointment that doesn't have any kind of medication in it, or yeah, you can do like a bacitracin antibiotic ointment, but I'm not really a big fan of neosporin for, for Boy, wounds. I've been hearing a lot about Aquaphor recently. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. That's like outside of Vaseline when a lot of people uh, uh, like lip dryness and things like this. Mm-hmm. I've heard Vaseline or Aquaphor. Mm-hmm. What, what's, what's not to get too sidetracked here, yeah. but what is... So a lot of things that people put on their skin, they think because they're like, oh, I'm trying to hydrate my mm-hmm. skin, but... Um, large portion of that top layer of your skin is just dead tissue that can't really absorb anything. They're just dead skin cells that are just right. causing a ba- that are, that are just a barrier. So your skin has a great barrier. So not a lot of things actually get into it. Your body will try to get stuff out to the skin um, if it needs to. And so Aquaphor and Vaseline are just a barrier to prevent you know, water loss through the skin, essentially. And so you put a barrier there and the body will take care of itself from the inside out. You know, you're not really expecting a lot of that to go from outside in. Okay. Um, now, so you've got a cut or a scrape. Do mm-hmm. you recommend covering it, Band-Aids, things like that? Is that necessary? Yeah. I mean, I for, for open wounds, especially if a scab hasn't or if it's, you know, still bleeding, try to get that covered. Um, and then just depending on what the wound looks like on whether or not you need to get in to be seen for it. So And don't pick scabs, right? I don't, I don't recommend it, no. Okay. I mean, people are pickers, and so people yeah, are going right. to pick. But no, yeah, just the, the scabs will fall off on their own eventually. Okay. They're there for a reason. But yeah, I mean, if you get like a, a simple scrape that's, you know, just wide and shallow and maybe has a little bit of bleeding, you can just treat that. You know, ideally, I say just water, mild soap, and then you can do that once a day. And then while it's still kind of actively open and oozing and bleeding, keep it covered. And then if it's kind of scabbed over and dry... You can keep it open. If it gets real dry, you can just do a little bit of Vaseline or Aquaphor on it. Okay. Um, for puncture wounds, which is any wound that's 
deeper than it is wide. So dog bites. Um, oh, that's a good way to describe it. Bites, okay, yeah, human like bites. Oh my god. Um, okay, <laughs> those ones are real prone to infection mm-hmm. because what the body likes to do is seal up the very top of it because that skin's kind of close together and, and you know not very wide, but it leaves a big pocket underneath that can get infected, especially with you know bites. A lot of bacteria will get transferred. And so those ones you should get in and be seen um, and possibly be on antibiotics to make sure it doesn't get infected. So anything deeper than it is wide. Yeah. That's a really good rule of thumb then for that. Yeah. Okay. And then cuts. um, For those ones, it it can be a little bit tough because if it's real shallow, no, you don't necessarily need to come in to get it stitched up or anything like that. But if it goes into that dermis layer or if it's not closing, so if you look at it and kind of gaps open and it's not closing naturally, those ones usually need stitches in it. Um, The other rule of thumb is that if we can't get anything to stop bleeding, then we'll start throwing stitches in it to try to get it to stop bleeding. Okay. So as we've we've covered most of these things you might Mm -hmm. see this summer, Mm -hmm. what ideally – do you think everybody should have in a first aid kit? I mean, yeah. what's because obviously you can buy some that I've had got countless. I've thrown mm. out so many yeah. because you've got so much stuff in there. But mm. do you really need all of that? I mean, a lot of it's probably just to sell you stuff, kind right. of. and then the <laughs> sure. other the other part of it is that some of it will expire, and then so yeah. you can ensure that you're you're changing things out. But ideally, I would say something that you can make a splint out of, especially if it's going to be on the back end of your side by side or four wheeler or something like that. So something that you can make a splint out of. Something like a, a ace wrap um, or something like that that you can use to tie things down or immobilize things or make a quick sling out of. Um, something to help, you know, if you do get bleeding to start, something to help stop the bleeding. So gauze is probably the most. So just, you know, thick, cottony pads essentially that you can, mm-hmm. especially if it's a big bleed, to get pressure on it right away and just put as much pressure as you can to get that bleeding to stop. Um like I said, a burn cream or a burn ointment or something like that is probably a good idea. You'll probably end up having some kind of antibiotic ointment in there as well. Um, that's honestly, you don't need a ton more than that. I have a lot in mind, right? Because well, I would, I would hope you would. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, you know, I keep like skin glue on hand, which you can't always easily get to, but there are some, you know, equivalents out that you can get just kind of at any pharmacy or Walmart or things like that, liquid skin and things. So okay, so another wife's tale, mm-hmm. super glue. Mm-hmm. Could you use that in a pinch? You could use it in a pinch for sure. Really? Yeah, you could use it. The, it's it's more irritating to skin, um, so it can even kind of cause like a little bit of burn, like chemical burn to yeah. the skin if you use it. And I, I'm I'm always wary of telling people to do it because there are certain things that we're willing to glue and certain things that we're not. <laughs> so if something, you know, the the classic one is okay. I was cutting vegetables and then whoop, accidentally slipped a little bit and cut my finger, and you'll see it's not really like a deep straight cut. It's kind of more like a slice yes. through it and the skin will lay flat back on the oh. finger. And so it, as long as it's just laying there, everything looks fine. Those ones are perfect for just doing a little layer of glue over and it'll, you know, work great for you. Glue usually falls off on its own after a week or two. So is there an over counter, the um, version of that skin glue? There's, there's liquid skin or like yeah. I said, okay. super glue in a pinch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, we busted a ton of myths, I think today, <laughs> and hopefully people won't put butter on burns and, and, and all the rest. Um, anyway, Dr. John. Tronus uh, is a family medicine physician up at Monument Health in the Lee Deadwood Clinic. Thank you again for coming down Thank and you. talking about this because yeah, I think to be down here. I think uh, this will um, it, it'll help. Oh, you know the one thing the one thing I didn't get to. Oh, mm. I wanted to talk about tick bites. Oh, yeah. just a little bit, really quick, before I wrap this yes. up, because 
forever. This has been my biggest fear mm-hmm. hiking around here. And you told me, stop it. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> right? Um, I, I guess it's, it's relative. Uh, okay. Where I come from in the northern Minnesota woods, oh, yeah, you can't walk 10 feet without getting a tick on you. Right. Um, I've been out here quite a bit and have yet to see a tick. I think I've only had one patient in the last two years that ever came in and complained about a tick. No kidding. Yeah. Yep. So they're just not as common. And then probably the biggest concern with people in ticks is Lyme's disease, yep. which you know, if you look at C- like CDC has maps and you'll see like, okay, here's where all the Lyme disease is, which is especially Northeast into kind of the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. And it kind of stops at the Missouri River. And those ticks that carry Lyme disease haven't quite gotten out here West River yet. It might happen in the future, but at this point, it's, it's not something that we're routinely concerned about. I used to see, you know, those target rashes of Lyme disease yeah. you know, three, four times a summer in Minnesota. And yeah, you, oh just, you just don't God. see it out here unless someone's been doing some traveling. There are still some other tick-borne diseases that can happen, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anaplasmosis that are carried by different ticks. But the main thing with tick care is that lots of people say, oh, burn it off or something yeah. like that. But the routine is get a tweezers or a needle nose pliers or something like that. Get as down to the base as you can near the neck head that's going to be buried into your skin and pull straight out. That's that's essentially what the official recommendation is. And most of the time you'll be able to get the entire thing out without any issue. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to try not to be afraid the rest of the summer, but I'm still going to be tucking my pants <laughs> into my whatever shoes I'm wearing for sure. Uh, all right. Again, Dr. John Tronis, uh, thank you very much for coming in. And uh, I know uh, we're going to have you back. I think the next time we talk, uh, you and I are going to be talking about adult vaccinations, Sounds good. which I think is pretty important to talk about too. Very much so. All right. Thank you very much, doctor. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Homeslice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquist, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry. 